We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. And now, here's Pastor Scott. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Hour 2 of the Pastor Scott Show, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, wherever you might be today. Schedule's different. Kids are out of school, but you're probably still at work and trying to balance all of that. If you got kids and if you don't, uh, then you're maybe you're doing the same thing you always do anyway. That's what I'm doing. And uh, even though my kids are out of school, I hope that you are doing well. Hey, uh, I want to, we haven't done some updates on some of the world events, particularly uh, what's happening in the war in Israel today and other stuff. And I'm wondering if you think, I'd love to know what you think about this. Do the protests that we have been seeing, particularly protests that block freeways or block the airport, is what happened Friday night. So Friday night, it was happening, started during our show Friday, um, and uh, we were uh, doing the uh, the uh, toy drive. And thank you, by the way, everybody who participated in the uh, KKLA Chips for Kids Speak Joy um toy drive that happened here and on our sister station KRLA. Thank you very much for being a part of that. And uh, I know that lots of kids were blessed because of you. So thank you for being a part of that. Anyway, we were talking about that on Friday. Uh, At the same time, a bunch of uh, um, pro-Palestine or pro-Hamas, you know, uh, demonstrators were blocking off the airport, like preventing people from leaving. Earlier in the week, people stopped on the 118 freeway or the 110 freeway, excuse me, and uh, blocked traffic for quite a while. And in the process, people miss appointments or they miss their flight or they have other things. There have been other protests in different issues where it's become kind of a thing to block freeways. Uh, I'm not sure that we've blocked airports all that often before, but uh, it's a big deal. Do you think that works? I guess what I'm wondering is, does that help your cause if you've got whatever that cause is, does it help or does it hinder? 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. And I've got some thoughts about how we could have a better conversation about what's happening in the Middle East as that conflict um, is pretty soon going to shift gears, I think. Hopefully it's not shifting gears into a wider regional conflict. The United States and Great Britain have been involved in some uh, scuffles with drones in the Red Sea, and there there is a lot that could uh, cause a lot of problems there. And at some point, there will be a change in the tactic in Gaza from Israel that will require them to figure out how this is going to transition into new government or new set of affairs. And those questions are are not very well answered, I think, by by anyone. Here's what was going on at the airport uh, earlier on Friday. People of all ages take to the streets near LAX, demanding a ceasefire in Gaza. 
I think enough of us have seen too many mutilated bodies of five-year-olds. The average age of civilians dead is five years old. Now, I looked that up, by the way. It's it's not true. There were some, uh, there's a lot of kids being killed. By the way, all these numbers, they get disputed. I, I looked up some numbers I'll share with you a little bit that uh, even the UN numbers on lots of different things are contradictory. And it's kind of interesting. And they're wildly contradictory in some stage. But can we just say with respect to that, that for sure, there are lots of people dying, there's lots of tragedy, and there are certainly a lot of kids. Not the average age is five years old. Um, That's not correct. But there are five-year-olds who have been killed. Anyway, we'll keep on going here. We're angry, and we demand a ceasefire. The demonstrators disrupt several streets near the airport, causing a traffic nightmare for travelers. What's more important? Like, I understand that people want to go and go see their families, but there's people dying and can't even see their families. Entire families have been wiped out. See, now that's that's true, but I heard that and I thought, well, but what are they going to do about it? If you make somebody miss their flight to go see their family, even if they're sympathetic to whatever your cause is, is that helping? Does it Does it raise awareness to the extent that people should know? Because I'll bet that on a lot of issues going on in the world today, there's a lot of things that we aren't aware of. You know, one of the big questions is, is why is this such a big deal when we don't seem to care at all about hundreds of thousands of people who have been killed in the various Middle East conflicts, some of which we've been involved in, some of which we have not? Um, 600,000 people, I believe, have died in Syria. And uh, this is one of the statistics that I read in uh, the UN reports. The UN reports that uh, five, four hundred, you know, what is it, 700,000 people have died in Yemen, and 70%, 70% are kids. Now, the UN also reported a much lower number, two different agencies within the UN, but wait, 70%. Did you even know about that? We're talking about hundreds of thousands of people getting killed and and tens or hundreds of thousands of children, little children being killed in these wars. They hardly ever get reported. Right? This is they they've been going on a long time. The Syrian war. We got some, you know, news about that. And then there was ISIS. We had a lot of reporting about ISIS and the murdering that uh, they were going on, the rampage, but the war in uh, Saudi Arabia and, and Yemen and the things that are going on with uh, the Sir- civil war in Syria, hundreds of thousands of people have died. And it is horrific. It is horrific. And it's not new. This has been going on a lot of time. You know, it kind of fluctuates throughout history. But this region has been dealing with this for a long, long time. And I wonder how much of that we even realize you know, and then when the Israel question comes, you know, some people are saying that, well, the reason that there's so much attention being given to the Israel-Hamas war is because people are anti-Semitic and they are against Israel. And I think that's true for a lot of people. But I also think that some of it is people are so undereducated or so completely you know, oblivious to the fact that what Hamas does is also what the Houthis do and also what Hezbollah does and also what Iran does, also what's going on in the, many of these other wars, the Taliban and other people, that there are philosophies uh, that are driving people to murderous, just incredibly murderous and violence where civilians uh, get in the middle of it. And in some cases, the numbers are huge. This is true, by the way, in any war. You know, lots of civilians in Europe were killed in World War II. That is not okay, but that is how it goes. You know, there is a conflict that is related to worldviews. 
and even within worldviews, that leads to a lot of death. How aware are would that change how we deal with this? You know, how do we ask for a ceasefire, for example, in this war? Are you asking for it for both sides or just one side? You can't really ask for it for just one side, or it's not a ceasefire. There was a ceasefire, by the way, it was that ended on October 7th. That ceasefire had already been in place. How do you do that? See, if, and if you don't have an understanding of what's happening, and you can't compare you know, one thing or another with any reason, how do you do that? How do these protests work if people say things that are not really even accurate. So you kind of have to look at the bigger picture and not be so privileged. The LAPD makes sure the group stays in one area and walks on a sidewalk. This rally taking place two days after dozens of protesters shut down the 110 freeway during morning rush hour. Why was it important for you to be here? Because I'm Irish, and Irish people have also experienced military occupation, famine, and a cultural diaspora, much like the Palestinians, but nowhere near as bad. Now, I'm Irish, and uh, this this guy has no idea uh, what he's talking about at all. I may be Irish, but I'm not stupid. Yeah, well, Mr. President, uh, I'm Irish also, and uh, can you get a load of this guy? I mean, he's Irish, and uh, he, he, thinks, he thinks it's just like the Irish. Now, the Irish were persecuted. Everybody in every group probably at some point has been enslaved and persecuted by others or been both sides of it, right? As Irish, when I look back in my family and Irish history, yeah, there's a period of time in, in the United States when you were not favored upon at all if you were Irish, so much so that you lied about it. So my, my set of great-great-grandparents or however many greats they are, for about uh, three censuses, they lied about their background. And then they went back whenever it became okay to suddenly be Irish. That has That is – you know, nothing compared to what is going on in the Middle East and the suffering that so many people have gone through. In different, and, I don't, and I'm not belittling that. I'm Irish. I got Irish. I'm sure that somewhere in my family history is horrific suffering in war, right? But uh, I don't think you're helping your cause when you make comparisons that uh, really uh, can't even work. Right, that, that that don't really fit anything. Let me find that clip. After We're, dozens of protesters shut down the Mr. 110 Irish freeway guy. during morning rush hour, why was it important for you to be here? Because I'm Irish, and Irish people have also experienced military occupation, famine, and a cultural diaspora, much like the Palestinians, but nowhere near as bad. Demonstrators say while they are demanding that Israel stops bombing Gaza, it certainly doesn't mean they are pro-Hamas. This has nothing to do with the resistance or pro-Hamas. This has to do with coming together as humans and seeing that pain is everywhere, and we can all stand for each other in sharing our voice for the oppressed. Now, I think if we got on the same page, I here's what I think. You can tell me what, what you think. 888-528-2557 is the number. This is the Pastor Scott Show. I think that if everybody, whatever your thoughts are about this, really came out against Hamas and groups like Hamas, right? if we were just very, very clear, Hamas needs to go. The protests were Hamas, stop. Hamas, you need to... You need to stop everything. You need to completely resign all of the leadership because otherwise they're just going to get killed or they're going to be, you know, not the people are getting killed, by the way, are the poor people there, not the billionaire Hamas leaders who are living in Yemen and uh, other parts of the world. Like billionaire with a B. Did you know that? 
all the money that the UN and the United States and other nations have poured into Gaza that was supposed to go to infrastructure, to governing and all of that went into the pockets of the leaders of Hamas, who don't even live there, by the way, who live elsewhere. And, uh, you know, we've been putting out word to uh, figure out where those people are. Uh, A couple of them are billionaires now. They just took it. And the rest of it they use to build these underground tunnels to build up uh, a society that is a terrorist state where you have people who are innocent but who are living under that oppression. And see, that's where that oppression comes from. And if you don't realize that and you just listen to some of the people like we just heard say, it doesn't work. I think if we were all on that page, it also puts us in a position to say, hey, when there are areas where you need to be critical of what Israel is doing, you know, when you have to talk about what's happening in the occupied West Bank or other things, I think it gives you credibility. But when you change the facts, when you will not, when you will not speak about what is in, you know, indisputable history of that region and where it comes from, uh, it it means it's very difficult to talk about things straightforwardly. Does that make sense? That if you cannot be truthful about the history, maybe it's because you don't know. Like I said, I think that some people are miseducated and other people are uneducated about this region for so many different reasons. And a lot of it's spiritual. You know, I don't think it's surprising that uh, so many things are said. But I think that you, that the world would speak better in a voice about the pain that goes on if we could be honest about the philosophies that are behind that pain and what happens. 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Alicia in Pasadena, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Did I say your name right? Is it Alisa? Alisa. Alisa. All right. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Hi. Um, I, I don't, I'm not defending the Irish guy. I think you're right, but I believe he was talking about the troubles and the English occupation in Ireland, not how the Irish were persecuted in America. So I I'm think sure that's what he was talking about. Yeah, but I'm just, I was speaking in general about the history of Irish yeah. persecution not really being related. It's, it's related in the sense that there was a military occupation and many Irish people were killed because of the Protestant Catholic thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but I, but, uh, and I, I, I understand that, but do you think that, I mean, first of all, it's the occupation thing is also highly debated in different ways, you know, historically. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Uh, in, in all of that. Uh, I just thought that guy's kind of funny because I don't think it's, I don't <laughs> think it compares. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, the same way, like I'm Lithuanian. My great-grandfather was sent to a concentration camp in Siberia. Mm. So, like, it's terrible things happen all around. I, I completely get the point you were trying to make. Um you know, and it's just ultimately, I think we all just want there to be no pain, no suffering. We don't want kids to die, of course, or anyone to die for that matter. And yeah. I do feel like is like you were mentioning Hezbollah at L, like have this way of just being so cruel more than other people are. <laughs> well, you know, and you mentioned that uh, your family had a concentration camp in Siberia and stuff. I wonder how many people really know the history of of Stalinist uh, Russia and the Soviet uh, domination? I would say um, nobody. No. Yeah. Um, it, you know, because we were allies with Russia. So you don't learn that side of World War II. You also don't really learn, like, the Japanese internment camp history because we actually have a Supreme Court case that still to this day says that's actually, that was legal. That was okay to intern the Japanese people. 
So, you know, it's, it's just who, to the victor goes the pen, as they say. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things that I think what I'm getting at, I appreciate your call, uh, Alicia, and is that the world isn't really new. Like the suffering that we're seeing here is, I think part of it too is that we're seeing it where we didn't see it. In all these other wars, part of it is because it maybe isn't in the interest of the United States, so it doesn't make the news. You know, So a lot of the last year violence against Armenian people, for example, that uh, was not in the news. There was an Armenian group who blocked the 134 freeway one evening, um, and uh, they got a lot of press, and they were just looking for some acknowledgement from their congressperson. Uh, Adam Schiff, just about the suffering that was going on. And I had a lot of callers then. We did a couple of shows on it. A lot of callers said, how come this doesn't make the news? How come that isn't there? Like, why? And I think there's a couple of reasons. I think, number one, things that make the news are going to be, you know, things that make sort of a national agenda are going to be what is affecting the interests of the United States, whatever that is. Um, And that's not fair. It's not right. I mean, I think what makes the news for us as Christians is suffering people anywhere, right? That's the news. I think God cares about that, whether it is an economic impact uh, on our country or whether it isn't. I think it's the same kind of suffering. Um, Why does Israel make the news this way? I think it has to do with everything spiritual, because I think people in their hearts, I think we know that there is something about Israel that matters with respect to the, the way the world is going to go. I was talking about this with my son, James, the other day, and that, that people have a sense. I can't remember. We were watching something, something that had to do with the end of the world, okay, with, you know, the world coming to an end and how many movies deal with that subject, the end of the world and things. And they're not necessarily, usually they're not Christian movies, but there's a sense right, of that this is all going to end. Now, scientifically, it's going to end in a few billion years whenever the sun blows up, okay? So it's going to end. But that's not what I think people mean. I think people in their heart realize that there's something greater going on in history that's real and that history will come to an end, that there will be a time that it ends. As a Christian, I definitely believe that, that the Bible teaches that, that it's very, very clear that there will be an end, that Jesus will return. And people have some different opinions about the order of things and the kingdom that he sets up. Will there be a millennial? Will it be a thousand years? You know, will it be pre, post, pre? You know, so many people have different opinions, but everybody agrees that there is an end, that this era, this way of life, that human history as we know it in a fallen earth will end. And I think that even if you're not a Christian. Other religions have different beliefs too. The the Muslim Islam has that belief, right? It's different. And part of why they are doing everything they're doing is to try to usher in that end of the world in the way they see it. They believe that they have a role to play with that. And then they they fight each other often because they they want to be the ones who usher it in, not our other um, Muslim group that has a slightly different belief. And so they fight each other and it gets pretty awful. But I think that even people who just don't have any particular faith at all have some kind of sense. I think that's why the movies are interesting, and I think that has an awful lot to do with why we pay attention whenever something weird is happening in Israel or wherever there is conflict, whenever there is something related to, even tangentially related to biblical prophecy. You know, every time there's some scientific advancement, you know, the co- or some the COVID when that happened, you know, I mean— it felt like, and maybe it's correct, that the fast forward button on history has been pressed. 
and we're just moving so quickly towards that end. But do you sense that? I sense that. I think that's, you know, and if it's uncomfortable that the Israel question makes the news in bigger ways, it's because it does impact the whole world. There's secular reasons. You know, it's the only democracy in the region, and there is a ton of technology that comes out of Israel. There are, there are secular reasons, but I think that the bigger reason is that people actually, and I think God put it there in us, have a sense of eternity, a sense that there is a soul, a sense that there is an ultimate judge of the universe, a sense that that's why there's religions, that's why there's philosophy, that's why all of that exists. I think that this is for real. And that's why for Christians, you know, our ultimate goal here is to say to repent, that the answer is going to be in Christ. The answer is not going to be in however you resolve this problem. How in the world are you going to resolve it? Because you can get rid of Hamas, but how do you prevent the same philosophy from leading some other group who oversees Gaza? You know, the Palestinian Authority, they've got all kinds of problems. Their leader is in, what, the 19th year of a four-year term and um, becoming a billionaire himself with other things. How do we do that? See, I think that that's that in a bigger picture, you can have a lot of disagreements and different opinions about what specifically is happening, but I think people care because I think that we feel it, that we are barreling towards a biblical end. And we better get right with Christ with that, that this is not, you know, just some sort of religion like you pick a political party or something. It's truth versus falsehood, and it determines where you're going to spend eternity. I got to take a break. I'll get to your calls, 888-528-2557. When we return, this is the Monday edition of the Pastor Scott Show. Be right back. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. Regarding the timeline, this is Israel's operation. And I'm not here to dictate timelines or terms. Our support... Uh, to Israel's right to defend itself is ironclad, as you've heard me say a number of times, and that's not going to change. It's critical, as I said earlier, that Hamas not be able to threaten Israel uh, from Gaza or even threaten Gaza uh, anymore. You know, that's an interest that we all share. It's a common interest. That is Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin today reiterating the administration's view on what's happening in Israel, but also looking forward to what is going to happen whenever hostilities, you know, as far as the war is concerned in its current stage ends, which in their view, he's talking about what happens when Hamas is defeated. And how do you take that region, the Gaza Strip, and govern it? And I think that's a huge question. That's a place to to pray, because who do you give it to? You are our... Uh, uh, administration is against, and I think most of the world is against giving it back to Israel. Israel could take it. They could probably just uh, do that, but I don't know that that's their goal. So somebody else is going to have to occupy it, though. Who's going to do that? Palestinian Authority is the people who would probably be given that, but they're not probably a lot better 
who's going to do that? I find that to be particularly interesting and troubling with how does this get uh, resolved that way. We're talking about the issues going on around the world today, a lot of different subjects uh, within. The number is 888-528-2557. This is the Pastor Scott Show, 888-528-2557. Eric in Corona, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Hi, Eric. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So I'll, I agree with you about how the media covers things and, uh, you know, how things – but that's that's life. I mean, some, some media stories have legs, some don't. That's and right. Media, media is actually promotion, so – And if it bleeds, it leads, promotion. right? So the more negative, yeah, the more yeah, you're going to hear about it. Yeah, all positive. I mean, I mean, the world's going crazy over Kelso and uh, Taylor Swift. Yeah, that's true, but uh, that made a lot of money for somebody somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Kelly Swift's worth, worth a billion dollars. It gets a lot of our people. The NFL's getting eyeballs that it normally doesn't get. Yes. So that's what I'm saying. If it, if it has legs, it has legs. But yeah. one, when you said that, here's the one thing that, that I think a lot of people miss, and is that, you know, we here in America, we have democracy. But as, as, as Reagan always said, democracy is just a whiff. And, and the one thing I think that, that the media and everybody overlooks is how close on January 6th we came to the destruction of democracy. If anybody ever takes the time to read the emails that um, John Eastman was writing and what it was he was actually trying to do, because remember this, now, I'm not talking about the riots. The riots were a bonus. But what they were actually trying to do is that in the Constitution, it states that the laws, that, that, that the, the reading of the ballots by the vice president will be on January 6th. There is no constitutional uh, provision for January 7th. So what they were trying to do was delay, 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 and throw everything into a constitutional crisis by saying – since it didn't happen, this didn't happen per the Constitution, the person in office should remain in office. Now, there were only a couple of people that were, were actually able to prevent what could have been a, a monumental constitutional crisis. Because remember, 47 percent of the country wanted the guy that was already in office. So but do you think, about, do you yeah. think, though, I guess here's where my thought is, is number one, it didn't happen, so we didn't have that. Number two, let's say Mike Pence says, let's say Vice President Pence says, you know what, I've decided I've got the authority constitutionally to reject these votes. Um, don't you think that that would have been very quickly resolved by the Supremes and by most people? But possibly, but here's the problem, though. And, and this, is, this, is what, this is what I'm saying everybody has to read John Eastman's emails because that's the whole point. The whole point was to get it past January 6th, because at the end of the day, the Supreme Court or this could have possibly been resolved. But the objective, you got to remember, not the result, the objective and how close we actually came. If 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 four or five, six people agree with that, that being Mike Pence, Mark Esper, Bill Barr. I mean, if you've got enough people in that room to say, yeah, let's go for it. Who knows what would have happened? That's the point, is that when people make an attempt to attack democracy that that very close, and again, because it didn't happen, 
it didn't happen. Yeah. My point is, it could happen again, and I think that people don't realize. It, it's almost like there are two incidents, now, and, and it was this, is that in 1963, no one knew how close we came to doomsday. That's you mean one. with the Cuban Missile Crisis? With the Cuban Missile Crisis. Two, September 2008, we were, we were within hours of the entire banking system collapsing. And, he, and here we are walking around, putting gas in our car, going to work. We were hours. So what do we what do we do about that? Because I'm I'm not on the page where I feel like that those kinds of crises, if they were to happen, would get worked out. There's a lot of question, right, about what George Bush did at the financial crisis. Um, you know, the Kennedy thing in uh, 1962. The the uh, well, yeah, you, you know, know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. The um, but. I think that there's something different, wouldn't you say, about a society like in ours where we have 50 states, right? It's We are not actually – it's a big reason why we're a Republican, not actually a democracy. It's what matters so that whatever happened – whatever could have happened with January 6th or let's you know say in the future someone else decides cool. to try that theory – you know the states have to go along too. You need you need a certain number of governors. It's not just a handful of people. You need a lot of oh, people. I agree. I agree. I'm talking about the potential crisis. That's what I'm saying. Not the result. But do you think the crisis? That- here's here's what I think. I think that the danger in the, that crisis. Tell me if you believe this. And I think this is this is something that I think matters a lot. I think the danger in any sort of crisis like that is not in what the actors are doing. In as much as are the people so divided amongst themselves that they will fight each other to support whatever side they're on in that crisis. Does that make sense? Well, it, yeah, but it did happen. I mean, how many people attacked the, the Capitol on January 6th? Well, hardly any compared to 330 million people. I mean, it was a handful of people. Like, it's almost it nothing. And one guy's in a buffalo suit. I mean, it's... But, yeah, but it was, it was, it was enough to stop it. Hours. For a few hours, and, but it worked, yeah, yeah. right? See what I'm saying is, let's say that it, let's say that they decide, let's say there's no riot, like you said, and uh, Pence says no, these don't count. You know, it'd be a huge crisis, but it would have been worked out well unless Americans, by huge millions and millions and millions of Americans, decide to fight each other over it. Right, but how many pe- how many people does it actually take to perform a coup? See, I think it yeah, takes a lot. I mean. I, I, I mean, don't I mean, think. think about this. See, and I, I mean, how I, many people? How, how many people were involved when when Saddam Hussein took over in 1979? It was a hand, the Bath Party. Yeah, but that's a whole different well, system. He doesn't have Eric. Eric. He yeah, doesn't have I, I every single thing is different in that. They're not. It's not even close to the same. That's a big part well, of our I'm, country I'm, is that we're we are states, not you know we are not just one country. It's sort of like. There might have been some people on uh, January 6th who for some reason thought if they took over the Capitol that somehow they run the military. That would never work here. That makes no sense. But that would work no, in I Iraq. No, no, I agree. I agree with you. I'm only saying the intent of, of, of what it was, what a few people were trying to do. And, and, here, and here's an interesting part. In 240 years, no one has ever tried it before. Yeah, but it didn't work. And I think whatever flaws were there, I think they got exposed. I, I think that path is over. You know what I'm saying? What I what I think is a bigger deal going forward is that you have people who thought the election was stolen in 2016 and 2004. We had serious controversy in 2000, you know, but 
And I think it's been building towards that moment. I think it's the division that we have in our country that is the larger problem other than lawyers trying to manipulate whatever they think they can get away with constitutionally. Remember this. There was there was there was a controversy there was a controversy what eighteen eighteen seventy eight conceded nineteen sixty conceded two thousand four conceded two thousand conceded two thousand sixteen conceded two thousand twenty never conceded right it's building so but my my issue is not with those people as much as it is with the fact that I think that they're is a sense of the division in our, I guess what I'm getting at is I think that our dividedness as a country, even to get us back to what we're talking about with Israel and with the division that we have, you know, some polls says 50% of, of young people support Hamas, not Palestinians, but Hamas. Well, well that's just, that's just that's, I can't even believe that's true. How can that be true? But that's a huge, whatever, whatever is real about that, that's a much bigger problem to me, that we are a divided country and a divided house cannot stand. Yeah, as long as, listen, I, I, I don't know if I told you this, that this is why I separate joints. It's okay to be divided. We can be, right. we can be, we can be disagreeable. We just can't be violently Well, I, I would, I would say it's not okay to be divided. We can be disagreeable. There is there is a difference. I gotta go. I appreciate your calls always, Eric. And I gotta I gotta get a break here in just a second. Um, you know, and and I'm thinking taking that call, and I'm thinking I'm thinking a lot about next year, right? And the things that uh, we're gonna go through in this election. I'm I'm more worried about, and I don't want to say I'm worried. I'm not. I'm more concerned about the division that we have, even with what we're seeing in Israel, what we're seeing in our campuses, what we're seeing in so many ways, because division goes to the core of the foundations of the nation and why we're here and what we are to represent. And individuals who try things legally or try things constitutionally, you know, it's a huge deal. But at the end of the day, it is, are we as a people looking toward a future of doing better to make a more perfect union or have we decided that doesn't matter and we're going to fight each other? That's a huge deal. I got to take a break. This is the Pastor Scott Show, 888-528-2557. We'll be back as the Monday edition continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now back to the show. Mr. President, why are you losing to Trump in the polls? That is a clip of uh, President Biden coming out of a meeting in Delaware, and the question shouted at him isn't really the point of it. The question was, Mr. President, why are you losing to Trump in the polls? And he says you're listening to the you're reading the wrong polls. But somebody crashed into one of the vehicles of his motorcade right at the end of that question. You can hear the noise. Mr. President, why are you losing to Trump in the polls? Did you hear that? There it is. There's the crash. <laughs> right there. Everybody's okay. President's okay. Everybody's okay. Uh, I. But uh, the guy was uh, charged with uh, drunk driving, so nobody thinks there was any sort of, uh, you know, ill, ill, 
you know, whatever towards the president or whatever. Just pick the wrong day to get drunk and go driving, which is always the wrong day, by the way. And uh, he hit the presidential motorcade. I bet he's in a lot of trouble with this uh, with this one. I drove in a presidential motorcade once. I drove one of the cars when I was in college. I got to, it was great. It was a blast. It was amazing. I got to go to this Secret Service training where I was in some hotel room for like two hours. I had to read this manual and go through all the stuff about what to do in case somebody crashes into it, in case a bomb goes off, in case whatever happens. And uh, then I get in the van that I'm driving, and I'm sitting next to a Secret Service agent who literally has an Uzi on his lap. And I thought, I didn't need two hours. Just tell me to do whatever the guy with the Uzi says, and I'd probably do that. Um, and then I got, uh, I got somebody in trouble because after the president left, I walked up to the presidential car. And I put my, I walked up behind it and I wanted to feel the armor of it, of the limousine, right? And I put my hand underneath the, the wheel well and I felt how thick that armor is on that. And then the driver is sitting there and he honks at me and he shouts at me and I turn around and his boss, Secret Service boss was standing there shaking his head at me going, I can't believe you had the nerve to walk right up to that car. He says, worse than that is I can't believe he let you walk up to that car. I hope I didn't get that guy in trouble, but, uh, you know, you got to be careful with uh, with what you're doing with that. All right, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. We're talking about a few different things this hour, but we left off talking about disunity or being divided in our country. And, you know, Jesus said at first that a house divided against itself cannot stand. And he was talking about, you know, that he was Jesus was accused of um, – uh, being uh, working with demons, basically, and uh, Jesus said, "Now, how can I be? Why would I cast out demons? A house divided against itself. You know, demons wouldn't cast out demons." And uh, Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, later on would say that about our country in the lead up to the Civil War. Um, and you know, we most polls suggest that we are as divided as we were before the Civil War. You know, the reasons are different, but that we are. A nation that is divided. See, I think that that is the bigger issue overall, that being divided is happening because we have lost what our purpose is together as a people. Now, not everybody and maybe not even most people. I think most people are just busy and living their lives and we kind of know. I think that's why when you have 9-11 happen 22 years ago – you had such a great groundswell of unity, and everybody longs for that. If you were around for that, and if you're younger, you know, if you're 26, 27 or younger, you don't have that experience. You know, that's a big part of our population now that doesn't know that. You know, so when I say, you know, 9-11, that conjures up a lot of memories for a lot of us. But for a whole lot of us today, it conjures up no memories. It's in the history books. For younger kids like my kids, 9-11 is as old as Pearl Harbor. It's, it's old. It's something that happened a long time ago. It is incredible. Um, <clears throat> I think that the, you know, as as you you think about praying for your country and going into this next year, there's a lot of unity that could happen, right? There's, I think, a lot of hope even for our country. But the hope happens if we are able to care for each other, even amongst our disagreements, At the end of the Civil War, in fact, a document everybody ought to read is Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address. You ever read that? It's there are two there are two speeches etched into the walls of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. If you ever go in there, they got the big Lincoln sitting there on the chair and the Gettysburg Address is on one side and it's etched in stone in the wall. But the other one is 
the second inaugural address that he gave in 1865, uh, only uh, a short time before he was assassinated. The war was ending. It wasn't over yet, but it was very close, and everybody kind of knew that. And so part of that speech was about moving us forward. He ends the speech with maybe one of the more famous lines. He says, you know, how do you, how do you unify as a country where you just literally went to war against each other, where 600,000 people were killed on behalf of brothers and sisters in the same country, a civil war? It's massive. Uh, massive. How do you unite again as a country? We still have scars from that, but uh, we, we did unite. You know, lots of people say historically that we moved from being uh, the United States are to the United States is, that after the Civil War and the end of slavery, we became one nation. And although we had still several ills and we have them today, we're moving in the right direction towards a more perfect union, as it would said. One of the things that Lincoln said to people was he said, with malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, let us strive to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. That's the quote that most people give, and it's great because you can't move forward without grace, without, you know, if you've got malice towards the other side. You can't. You will be divided. You'll just have another war. Uh, that's what's going to happen. That's why the Israel situation is so complicated with what happens after Hamas. If the malice is still there, well, then you're just going to get another Hamas, and it will happen again, uh, which has happened over and over and over again. That is one of the great things that Lincoln gave us. But if you read the rest of that speech, before he gets to that point where he makes his point, the theology in that speech is fantastic about why that is how you move forward with malice towards none. And I would recommend that you read it. I can't read all of it right now, but you know, a big part of it, he talks about this. Lincoln says, all knew that the interest of the war, he's talking about the war, was somehow connected to slavery, that slavery was the cause of the war. And he talks about how people have different opinions about why and this and that, but he says, uh, all knew that this interest, the interest of slavery, was somehow the cause of the war. And then he goes on to talk about something very interesting. He says, both, meaning North and South, both read the same Bible and pray to the same God, and each invokes his aid against the other. It may seem strange that any men should dare to ask a just God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of another of other men's faces, but let us judge not what we uh, let us judge not that we be not judged. He says this, Lincoln says, the prayers of both could not be answered that of neither has been answered fully. The Almighty has his own purposes. Woe unto the world because of the offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to the man by whom the offense cometh. He explains that. He says, if we shall oppose that American slavery is one of those offenses in which in the providence of God must needs come, but which having continued through his appointed time, he now wills to remove it, and he gives to both North and South this terrible war as the woe due to those by whom the offense came. Shall we discern therein any departure from those divine attributes which the believers in a living God always ascribe to him? And he goes on to say that basically, if God wills that because of our sin of slavery, that however you look at it, it should not have been, that God had willed it away, that it's never been part of something that God's will was. 
that if God's will was that we continue to fight the war until all blood is shed and all the wealth that we have is gone, then so be it. He says the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. He basically lays out, hey, we fought this war and we killed each other because of slavery and we all knew it was wrong, everybody. And that is a place where we're going to have to come to some understanding, I think, with each other about what is right and wrong today, about how we treat each other. And there's a lot of issues in our country. You know, what are the things that we are fighting about? Uh, We're fighting about abortion. We're fighting about opinions about how the world should be run in different ways. And those things to be divided, to, to have malice towards people who have different opinions, that is the part, I think, that is going to ultimately be devastating to us. And things that we know are wrong that we just keep doing or that we make excuses for doing. Our country needs to repent. And we need to recognize that, and you know, being away from God, I don't know if a president could give this speech anymore and be, have it be accepted, certainly not etched into the wall of the memorial. I mean, it's incredible when you read that of what he felt God's will was. And this is coming from somebody who understood that God is above government, that God's will is supreme in this world, and that whatever you think, ultimately God is going to win. This is why we trust God. This is why we trust him to be right. This is why we must be humble with each other. This is why we must know the word of God. This is why we need to pray for our leaders because the word of God says so. And it's why we don't pray that they're successful in bad things. It's We pray that they change their heart and minds when they are unsuccessful, that they repent. We got a lot to pray for. And the good news is, is we've got good news that the Lord sent his son, that Jesus Christ came in that first Christmas to be in that manger, to grow up and live the life that we try to live for ourselves and we can't. He did it. We get credit for it. And we get everlasting life. The gospel is the message of hope that needs to be shared. And that's where the great unity is, because all fall short of the glory of God. Everybody, everybody needs a Savior, and everybody comes to the Lord the same way by faith. That's the great equalizer in this world. That's the message that we have. Lots to think about with all of that, but we're out of time for today. This is the Pastor Scott Show. You can get the podcast of this and any one of our episodes by looking for the Pastor Scott Show wherever you get your podcast. So check that out. Click subscribe, and you'll never miss a show. You can send them to a friend if you want to invite them to listen. You can also follow me on social media, Instagram and uh, X, formerly Twitter, and the Facebook at uh, Pastor Scott Show, at Pastor Scott Show, and check it out. All right, everybody, we'll be back tomorrow live And as we head towards Christmas from 3 to 5 right here, everybody have a good night. God bless. See you tomorrow.